Instead of countries in Europe, they would be the United States of Europe. And we already know they have the euro, uh, the European uh, currency. Uh, you can travel now from country to country in Europe without having to show your passport and what have you. That's been going on for some time. But now they, they believe it will help their financial situation with so many of those countries in financial trouble if they all were unified as states, as the United States are, then they could pull all of their monies together and they could build one massive European economy together. Uh, I hear that kind of stuff and it just shakes me to the core because more and more a platform is being built for the Antichrist to come and rise to power and these things will happen as the Bible predicted that it would. So all of us, I suspect, tend to equate the Roman Empire with Western Europe. And there have been many books suggesting uh, uh, conjectures involving Rome. Uh, I've heard people say that the Antichrist will even uh, come from uh, different parts of Rome through different religions and all of that kind of stuff, the rise of the Roman European Union, and so on. I remember as a kid hearing my dad uh, talking about the European common market and how the Antichrist is going to come out of the European common market. Uh, but I, I think tonight, if you feel that way, and if you're passionate in feeling that way, that the Antichrist can only come from the European side of the Roman Empire, then you're slightly nearsighted, or you're looking at Daniel's or Nebuchadnezzar's image as though it only had one leg instead of two legs. You have to remember that the Roman Empire had two parts. Uh, in A.D. 284, Emperor Diocletian restored efficient government to the empire after the near anarchy of the 3rd century. He divided the empire into two parts or into two legs, just as Daniel had predicted when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream 900 years prior to the event which it, in which it took place. <clears throat> Diocletian he reorganized the fiscal, administrative, and military machinery of the empire, temporarily shored up the decaying empire in the west or the European side of it and laid the foundation for the forthcoming Byzantine empire of the east. Those of you that are familiar with the map, you have to know and you have to understand that the Roman Empire essentially went from Great Britain all the way across Europe, all through the Middle East, all the way to India. And when Diocletian reorganized the Roman Empire, he divided it into two parts, the western side being the European side of it, the eastern side being the Byzantine part of it, fulfilling uh, Daniel's interpretation of, Nebuch of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that the image had two legs or that there would be two parts of the Roman Empire. So in A.D. 312, the Emperor Constantine relocated the capital of the empire to the eastern side or to the um, uh, Byzantine side of it, moving Rome to what is now Turkey to a city called Constantinople, which actually means the new Rome. So I hope you're understanding me here tonight. Again, let me reiterate and review for a moment. 
Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9, or the angel Gabriel told Daniel, that the prince and his people that come and overthrow the city of Jerusalem and, the, uh, and destroy their temple, it would be out of those people a prince would come that we now know is going to be the Antichrist. So I'm asking you tonight to understand that Nebuchadnezzar's vision had two legs, which represented the western side of the Roman Empire and the eastern or Byzantine uh, side of the Roman Empire. Again, uh, Constantine really fulfilled that prophecy when he moved the headquarters of Rome from the city of Rome to Constantinople, a city built in his honor that is now in Turkey, um, to the Byzantine side or the western side of the Roman Empire. Okay, so after Constantine's death in 395 A.D., uh, Emperor uh, Theodosius divided the empire between his two sons, and it was never again united, thus establishing the two legs of the image of, of, that Nebuchadnezzar saw. It was Theodosius, uh, uh, excuse me, Theodosius who made Christianity the sole religion of the empire, which at that time would be the, uh, what we now know is the Catholic faith. He made Christianity or the Catholic faith. Uh, the point I'm making here right now is uh, prior to Constantine, Rome was considered a paganistic uh, nation of people uh, that embraced idolatry and what have you. Uh, when Constantine had his vision, stopped the persecution of the Jews and so on, uh, he turned Rome into more of a Christian-based empire uh, with a belief in God, also in Christ, and so on. And so history will tell you that Rome converted from being a heathenistic nation into a Christian nation, and this is what I'm talking about tonight. So uh, it was... Uh, after Constantine's death in 395, uh, Theodosius divided the empire into uh, two parts. And uh, it was uh, Theodosius who made Christianity the sole religion of the empire. And subsequently, Constantinople assumed preeminence over the West. In the late 5th century, the Western leg, or this Byzantine empire or dynasty, began to uh, disintegrate. Excuse me, the European side was the western side, began to disintegrate. But the eastern side, which was the Byzantine Empire, uh, the eastern leg, if you will, it continued on, and it endured until 1453 A.D. when it was finally overrun by the Muslims. There are a number of biblical texts that strongly suggest that the coming world leader, commonly called the Antichrist, will emerge from the region of the eastern leg of the Roman Empire, which is the Byzantine uh, part of that empire, which is now the Muslim uh, rule part of that empire. Uh, so that profoundly impacts our prophetic perspectives. So bottom line, what I'm telling you here tonight is for all of you folks who have thought from, for years that the Antichrist has to be, to some degree, of European consent, uh, a descent, and I want you to understand, he could be. 
But what I want to share with you tonight and what I'm just trying to have you open your mind and and see more possibility in, in biblical prophecy than what I've ever heard in the past is there's two legs on the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw that represents the the western side, which is the European side of the Roman Empire, and also the eastern side, which is the Byzantine side of it, which is the Muslim side of it, um, would represent the other leg. So there is, in my opinion, I'm not going to split hairs with you over it. If you don't believe it, fine. But in my opinion, there is a possibility that the Antichrist could emerge from the, the western side of the empire, which is Europe, or he could come from the eastern side of the empire, which is more of the Middle East um, Muslim side of the empire. After hours of study, and I've, I've taught this in our past Bible studies, uh, I showed you and, and proved to you in Scripture that the Jews accepted King Herod. Around the time that Jesus was born, he was their king. I proved to you that Herod was of Abraham's bloodline. He was of Isaac's bloodline, but not of Jacob's bloodline. He was of the bloodline of Esau, and the Jews bought into that. Herod proved to them that he was a son of Abraham. He was, but he was not a son of Jacob. There was a split in the tree, if you will. There was a fork in the tree. And Herod was not a true Jew. On top of that, he was not married to a Jewish woman. And the Jews accepted him. I'm here to tell you tonight, I would be more inclined to believe that the Antichrist would be of a Muslim descent because he could prove that he has connection and bloodline ties to Abraham because Ishmael is the son of Abraham. Are y'all with me? I'm getting that real strange look again, man. It just And I know I'm going against some grain here tonight of what probably most of you have been taught virtually all of your life, that the Antichrist has to come from European descent. He could. He could. I'm not saying he can't. But I am saying there's another possibility. There's two legs on that image. And when that occurred to me about six or eight weeks ago, I shared it with Brother Merrill, and I've been about to blow up ever since wanting to share it with you. And I've kind of hinted about it two or three times um, in our services. So let me continue. If you read Daniel chapter 11, our clearest identification comes from prophecies relating to the precedent empire, the breakup of the Greek empire after Alexander's death. Alexander the Great, and I went through that last Wednesday night. When Alexander the Great died, his four generals divided up the empire, which reached eastward even to India. Y'all remember Alexander the Great, he died when he was in his early 30s. But when he conquered everything he could conquer, he put his foot on a rock and cried because there was no, nothing else to conquer. I mean, the man made an impact. He made a big impact. And he ruled, Greek ruled that known part of the world. Well, we know that Greek fell to Rome, and Rome even got bigger than that. Uh, so when Alexander the Great died, his four generals divided up the empire, which reached eastward all the way to India. Uh, Cassander took Macedonia and Greece. Uh, Lysimachus took Asia Minor. And Thrace, uh, Seleucus uh, took over Syria, Babylon, and the east, and Ptolemy took over Egypt. Since Israel was caught between the territories of Seleucus and Ptolemy, 
It subsequently was a buffer zone between these two rivals. Uh, Daniel chapter 11 deals or details the struggles between the Seleucid Empire, the king of the north, and the uh, empire of Ptolemy, which is the king of the south, or Egypt. Many scholars refer to the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament as silent years. In fact, much of this history was written in advance with an accuracy that has forced skeptical critics to attempt to late date the book of Daniel. Daniel was so accurate in his dates, and I want to go through some of this next Wednesday night, that people actually said that the book of Daniel is not as old as it is, that actually Daniel lived during the time all this stuff was happening, and that's how he knew the date of all this stuff. That's not so. Gabriel revealed to Daniel the exact dates all of this was going to come to pass. Where I'm, I'm asking you folks to, to understand, and I'm not going to ask you to, to grab a hold of this the first time I go through it, but uh, you can get a copy of it on a CD or you can download it, you can watch it on our website and so on. But, but go through it again and get familiar with it again. It's going to be important when we go through Bible study next Wednesday night. I want to talk about Daniel 70 weeks. A lot of you people have heard about it. Some people have even discounted it, and it's just old, boring Bible study. But what you have to know is Daniel 70 weeks is the backbone of Bible prophecy. And I'm here to tell you tonight where the book of Revelation is fascinating and full of, of all kind of strange things that people don't understand. I don't believe it's as hard as people try to make it out to be. But... I want you to understand where Revelation is a phenomenal book. The things that Daniel wrote, Daniel gave dates and times. I mean, he prophesied Alexander the Great. He prophesied his four generals. He prophesied what was going to happen. He prophesied timelines that is important for prophecy. And if you could understand those timelines that we're going to be talking about next Wednesday night, you'll understand why... So many people that understand that is so passionate about Bible prophecy right now. I'm telling you, folks, the rapture is imminent, in my opinion. When you follow Bible prophecy and you see these things come to pass exactly like the Bible says, then you understand we don't have a lot of time. Uh, there's things that's happened and developed in our world that the Bible said would happen uh, before the rapture of the church. But what is really making me so passionate about prophecy is there's things going on in our world right now that's getting the world prepared for what's going to happen after the rapture of the church. We're not just studying prophecy up to the rapture. There's things going on in our world right now that's being set for things that's going to happen after the rapture. Uh, the Jews already building their temple. They've got it in storage. I showed you a video of it. Uh, one of the Jewish rabbis said so. They've got their foundation stones cut. Uh, cut them with a diamond blade, a diamond tip blade. They've got their cornerstone cut for the temple. They're ready. That's post-rapture preparation. And we have to understand that. I, I, I submit to you folks tonight that your knowledge and understanding of prophecy shouldn't make us feel good because we know more about where we're living. It should drive us to our knees and start having some prayer meetings and praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost so God can rapture as many people off of this planet as he can. Everybody say amen. amen. So this is why we're talking about <clears throat> these things. Um, so many scholars refer to the uh, 400 years between the Old and New Testament as silent years. And, and because Daniel is so accurate, uh, there's people who 
are critical of prophecy that don't believe it. They want to put Daniel as actually living during those times. Um, uh, when, you, when you read the book of Daniel, especially the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11, uh, you can understand that Daniel is being talked to about future events, not events that's happened uh, concurrently with when he's living. So when, when you get into the book of Daniel, uh, from verses 36 through 40 of Daniel 11, the passage focuses on Antiochus Epiphanes. I talked about him last Wednesday night, whose desecration of the temple and placing a pagan idol in the Holy of Holies and commits what Jesus called and what Daniel called the abomination of desolation. It triggered the Maccabean revolt that threw off the yoke of the Seleucid Empire off of the Jewish people. Three years after that infamous desecration of the temple, the Israelites rededicated the temple, and this event is celebrated to this day, and it's called Hanukkah. Um, when Jesus, some 200 years later, gave a confidential briefing, if you will, to four of his disciples discussing his second coming. Jesus referred to a repeat of that historical event called the abomination of desolation as the key to end-time prophecy. I talked about this last Wednesday night. The abomination of desolation is what the Antichrist is going to do. The Jews are going to set up their temple at some point during the tribulation period, start sacrificing uh, to Jehovah again. The Antichrist will go to their temple and will do something. Uh, perhaps sacri sacrifice an animal uh, that's as Antiochus Epiphanes did that's not appropriate to be sacrificed. Uh, may set an idol in the Holy of Holies. Who knows what he'll do, but he's going to commit an act called um, the abomination of desolation. So Jesus prophesied himself that what Antiochus Epiphanes did, a similar event will trigger the climactic three-and-a-half-year period um, that Jesus labeled as the Great Tribulation. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45, the passage continues uh, by looking forward to the final king of the north, to the person we commonly call the Antichrist. It's significant that this climatic leader seems to be presented as the final member of this previous detailed line of the kings of the north. It would seem, taking the chapter as a whole, that the final world leader will emerge from this region which comprised the Seleucid Empire rather than from the western region of Europe or that European side of Rome that is commonly assumed. Let me read a scripture here tonight, and I'm almost finished. In Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 5 and 6, the Bible said, And this one shall be the peace... When the Assyrian shall come into our land, you'll notice the word Assyrian does not have an S. It's not talking about peoples, but it's talking about a person. When the Assyrian, not necessarily a nation, but a person from Assyria shall come into our land, and he, when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod, and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian, 
when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. I want you folks to notice this tonight. Micah refers to, and I'll be honest with you, in all the prophecy conferences that I've set through, many of them for many years, I've never heard this material taught before. That there's a possibility that the Antichrist could come from the eastern side of the old Roman Empire, which is what we now know as the Muslim side, that, that Middle East region, Turkey, uh, India, and so on. <clears throat> Micah referred to him as an Assyrian, but he also referred to him as coming from the land of Nimrod. This is huge to me because Micah apparently has some insight that is incredibly critical and of, of great priority and importance. We know, and if you study Genesis chapter 11, if you'll study it, if you'll take some time to study it, there's only about nine or ten verses there. But in my opinion, when Paul referred to the mystery of iniquity, and I got into this last Wednesday night, I believe that the mystery of iniquity started with Nimrod and his wife Semiramis and their son Tammuz. Uh, you can trace virtually every pagan religion on this planet today back to <coughs> Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz, uh, what is believed to be um, her son, not necessarily his. I find it interesting that Micah refers to the Antichrist as an Assyrian who comes from the land of Nimrod, which would be that more not European area, but more of what we call the cradle of civilization. It's the Middle East, uh, maybe a little more over towards India, that part of the world. So I'm asking you tonight, is there a possibility that the Antichrist could be of Muslim descent. Is it possible? Ezekiel and Isaiah also employ this very term. They refer to the Assyrian Empire, preceded, uh, they say the Assyrian Empire, and we know it to be true, preceded the Babylonian Empire by several centuries. This empire embraced the region we now know today as Syria and Iraq. Uh, the first world dictator was Nimrod, whose name means we rebel, who ruled from Babylon. It's interesting that Micah also refers to this land of Nimrod in the passage that we just read. Could it be that this final world dictator will be, in some sense, a return of Nimrod? Uh, with the... I don't know what word I want to use here. I don't want to use the word bent. I don't want to use the word angle. Perspective, maybe it's a better word. The perspective I have on Bible prophecy. When you trace Nimrod through Jezebel, through the Babylonian Empire, through Persia, uh, Greece, Rome, uh, and then Rome finally dies out. It, it rots literally from within. It, it collapses. The Bible says it's going to come back to life, and it is. Uh, when you see the influence of the Muslim people taking more and more uh, control in our world, I say there's a very strong possibility. Uh, I'm not saying that it is, 
uh, I want to reiterate, he could come from Europe, but he could also come from the Muslim side of the old Roman Empire. I'm inclined to believe that the Antichrist is going to be the devil incarnate in flesh. As much as Jesus was God incarnate in flesh, I believe the Antichrist will be incarnate, the devil incarnate in flesh. Um, and I, I could understand and see very clearly with my very limited knowledge of Bible and, and Bible prophecy that he could be a modern-day Nimrod because the whole effort of Nimrod was to turn his world against God, against any knowledge of God, against any worship of God, etc. And that's exactly what the Antichrist will do when he comes into our world. So I believe he could be uh, a Nimrod-type person. I believe he could be of Nimrod somehow if you could retrace his lineage. So this may add an additional dimension to the mystery surrounding the future of Babylon, of the resurrection of the old Roman Empire. It is just used as a symbol. Um, uh, it could be being used here. Babylon could be used, being used here as a symbol, or it could be Babylon literally that could rise to prominence once again. Um, Isaiah and Jeremiah clearly describe a destruction of Babylon that has never happened yet. In Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and uh, Zechariah seems to have, uh, seems to hold the key to that in Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. So bottom line tonight, I want to just give you some food for thought. And uh, I know that a lot of you folks are nervous about, it seems like our world right now is bowing to the Muslim faith. Um, it's, it's, we have the controversy going on at the... Uh, uh, the two trade centers in New York that there's uh, a, a mosque that's supposed to be built there and uh, our government seems more and more to favor the, the Muslim faith I'm not saying anything about the people don't misunderstand me I'm not saying anything about the people but I do believe our world is being set for uh, a leader uh, that's going to rule the world and he's going to have to have some really powerful people in place to make it happen and I can see right now that someone of a Muslim descent would have a greater potential of doing that than someone of European descent. Doesn't make any difference to me where he's from or who he is. I don't plan to be here either way. Uh, but I just want to share with you tonight that there's that possibility. So when you hear the news, when you read your newspaper and so on, just keep an ear peeled and make sure that you know where your heart is at, where your faith is at. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. Don't be intimidated. Jesus said when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. I do want to close tonight by saying it is imperative beyond any shadow of a doubt. If you're not sure you're ready to meet God or not, you should make that choice as soon as possible. You need to have your heart right with God as soon as possible because I believe at any moment, any day, any hour, we could hear the sound of a trumpet and God's people will be raptured out of here. I want to say to you tonight as you stand with me, this is what makes me nervous. <clears throat> Don't think that the church is exempted from the spirit of iniquity working in it. Daniel said if the days were not shortened, or Jesus said if the days were not shortened, the very elect would be deceived. 
I'm telling you folks here tonight, and, and I don't know how well you, the Bible talks about people that have ears but hear not. It's kind of like our kids. When you're raising them and teaching them, they have ears but they don't hear you. Uh, they don't understand is what the Bible means. But if you can understand tonight, the spirit of iniquity, the mystery of iniquity that's working in our world tonight is telling us two things. Number one is that there is no God. And the two largest populations of people on this planet, Russia and China, are atheistic uh, nations. They don't believe in God. The devil succeeded with well over half of our planet that does not believe in God. The other thing that he would have you to believe is that, okay, you have a Bible and you can read it and all that stuff, but it's not all true. It, I, I don't, I don't, you know, just sow a little bit of doubt. Just a little bits of seeds of doubt and so on to say that I just, I, Brother Murphy, I just don't believe all this stuff like you're teaching. That attitude and posture, it, it's people that are living their life as though there's not going to be a rapture. And outside of rapture, I mean, death could be within any of our next heartbeat for anybody here tonight. Forget the rapture. There's other things that can happen. I don't want our young people to feel in any way, shape, or form that you have the rest of your life. I'm not asking you to go crazy and start buying cases of green beans and go to dig them in the, bury them in the ground somewhere. What I am talking about is we don't have as much time on this planet, I don't believe, as we think. I know preachers said that 50 years ago, 25 years ago. But if those guys felt back then that the end was near, then how much closer are we right now? Everybody say amen. It's not a time to play. It's not a time to gamble with your future and your relationship with God. If you're not confident that you're ready. There's a, a video that we've shown, a little video clip that we've shown here in times past. I'll probably show it again in the next couple of weeks. I want to show you a, a, an example of what it's going to be like when the rapture takes place. And if you could imagine probably 99% of the people disappearing out of this building and you're sitting here staring around looking at one or two other people and trying to figure out where everybody else went. I'm going to tell you that is going to be a moment that is going to absolutely freak you out more than you can imagine. It is going to terrify you more than you've ever been terrified. It is imperative, folks, that we live right with God and look, if the rapture don't take place for another 50 years, that's fine. I just want to be ready in case we don't have that long. We've got to be ready to meet Jesus. I'm appealing to everybody in the building. I study this stuff all the time, and I'm passionate about it. It worries me because there's people in this church that are playing games. There's people in this church that act like it's no big deal. I can go do what I want, and I'll get my heart right with God someday. Well, that first five minutes after the rapture, you'll realize it's over. It's over. And, and you'll just have to face the consequences as they come. I'm pleading with you folks, when we get into the book of Revelation, I'm going to be as graphic as I can. I'm going to be as clear as I can. I want you to understand it. God's not playing. He's not going to play with this planet. We've been seeing the nice side of God for 2,000 years. But it's fixing to change. You're going to see a side of God you never knew existed. And uh, that's when the lamb turns to a lion. And the Bible is very clear that God is going to do that. We've got to be ready to meet Jesus. We've got to be ready to meet God. And uh, I'm going to ask you to get your Bible, get on your knees.
say, God, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, I've got to be ready. I've got to be ready. Let's lift our hands and pray towards that end right now. Everybody in the house, would you pray with me tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus. My God, I pray tonight that you would speak to this church, speak to this pastor. God, we've got to understand. We've got to convince people. We have to persuade people that you're coming as soon. We have to persuade them. God, I pray 